When it comes to charities, are you a generous giver or a reluctant donor? How do you know where your money is going and how much thought do you put into which charities and projects you support and which you don't? These questions and more coming up in just a moment. This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. On the line from Adelaide, we have Braden Blyde, who's a, a chaplain in a, a high school there right now. Uh, is that correct, Braden? Yeah, that's right. Okay, but, but previously, Braden, you've worked for the Adventist Development and Relief Agency, both in Australia and New Zealand. What, what was your role there? So in both offices, so in Australia and New Zealand, I was working in the marketing, fundraising and communication teams mm-hmm. um, and heading up that team. In New Zealand, so I spent uh, almost six years on the Australian team, and then two and a half in New Zealand before coming back here to Adelaide. And I'm at the school part time, and, and in my other time, I uh, I do a bit of consulting work. So I'm still working with Adrian and a few other Australian charities on marketing and fundraising programs to help the good work they do continue. Okay, top stuff. So still got a, a finger in in that pie then. Yeah, absolutely. It's something I'm really passionate about. So. Yeah, helping helping people, whether it's you know kids at high school or whether it's you know people overseas that are doing tough, helping them you know, live the best life possible. That's that's kind of what drives me. Okay, no, that, that sounds fantastic. So, uh, Adra, the Adventist Development and Relief Agency, can you just walk us through like what that organisation is for those of our listeners who perhaps you know, haven't come across uh, Adra before? Absolutely. So, the Adventist Development and Relief Agency is the official humanitarian agency of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So like the church, it's a global agency, has a presence in about 135 countries around the globe. Oh, wow. And the work that ADRA does is kind of twofold, I guess you could describe it. One is responding to disasters. So that's the relief, the R in the acronym ADRA. Yep. So immediately responding to urgent humanitarian needs, whether that's from a a natural crisis or a man-made crisis like war or civil conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, so often that looks like food, water, shelter, all those basic needs of people. Okay. Uh, so so with, with with that relief side of the work, uh, has ADRA been involved in some of the, the recent natural disasters that, that we've heard about, like the typhoons and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. So pretty much any time you hear one of these disasters around the globe, ADRA will be there. So we think of you know the tsunami disaster in Indonesia recently. Andrew was one of the few aid agencies that was on the ground and able to work immediately there to, you know, the typhoons and hurricanes in the US, you know, the ongoing conflicts in Syria. Andrew's working in Syria and surrounds Iraq, Lebanon, dealing with some of the crisis there with the refugees spilling out into its neighbouring countries. So it's one of those things and, and people who, were, who, were, who know Adra, as soon as they see a story on the news, many people think of ADRA immediately. And it's because of those people and because of the staff that we have around the globe that we can respond. And we just feel really lucky and blessed. And I say we because I still feel associated with them, even though I'm not employed. You know, God's really blessed us with those resources. And yeah, it, it's it's a great thing. Okay. Now, I, I, look, I sidetracked you slightly seeking some detail there, but you said there are there were two aspects to what ADRA does. You said the, the R in ADRA stands for relief. The, so it's Adventist Development and Relief Agency. So the other part is the D, the development. Can you explain that to us? Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those words that 
often trips people up. I mean, places I've been speaking, I ask people to say, oh, what do you think development stands for? And sometimes people say, oh, is it property development? Is that is that what you do? When we're talking about <laughs> development, we're talking yeah. about developing people and developing communities. Okay. So we, we think of communities that are experiencing poverty, wherever it might be in the world, even here in Australia and New Zealand, there are communities and, and mm. families that live in poverty. And development is about giving them the opportunities and the resources they need to lift themselves up out of that experience of poverty. So that may be resources to grow more productive and nutritious farms, whether that's to feed themselves or as cash crops, that may be improved access to water and better sanitation facilities so they don't have to be as sick as often or lose family members because of waterborne disease. It can be, you know, starting small businesses, but the core of it actually comes down to helping people use the skills, knowledge, interest and connections that they have as a community to improve their lives. So organisations like ADRA who do community development are really about helping people achieve their own goals rather than coming in saying, this is what you need, helping them do that so they can grow out of poverty. Okay, so you've been working in a a marketing communications sort of role with with ADRA and as you say, other other NGOs, other, other aid agencies. When something happens, you know, like the tsunami you mentioned in Indonesia, you know, there's this outpouring of compassion and this this very, you know, generous response from donors. But when it comes to development, you know, this sort of ongoing year after year after year projects of, you know, maybe helping, you know, women get uh, skills so that they can run their own small businesses or, or helping farmers to increase their crop yields or, or making sure that there are schools for kids to go to. I mean, do you have difficulty as a marketing and communication person sort of getting people excited about donating to those sort of development projects as opposed to the, you know, the terrible disaster relief aspect of of your work? Unfortunately, development work doesn't have that same kind of immediacy or urgency that a disaster has, nor the media attention that goes with it. So certainly it, it is harder work. But at the same time, there are people that really understand that unless development happens, responding to disasters is ev- only ever going to be a band-aid. Right. Communities that are strong, that aren't suffering in poverty, that you know, are well-established, have good connections, when a disaster comes, the word that, that is used is resilience. They have resilience. So when a disaster comes, they aren't needing this massive international assistance because they've already got it themselves. They've already been able to plan. So yes, it's more difficult, but it's just as important. And so, you know, agencies that I've worked with, and this is kind of the work that I do, I've spent a lot of time in being able to tell the stories, the human stories of this work, because it's, you know, it's not just wells and chickens and textbooks and those kind of things, it's, it's the people. And we, and we know that people give to people, they don't give to projects. And so these agencies love to share the stories of the people that, that is being impacted by people's generosity. And we know that's what people love to read, and so we'll continue doing that. Okay, yeah, because uh, obviously it's all very impressive to see, you know, statistics about, you know, uh, crop yields across sub-Saharan Africa have increased by 13% over, you know, the the last uh, financial year or whatever, but that people aren't going to get excited about that. But if they can see this particular farmer whose, you know, life and, and family has been transformed, you know, by implementing these, you know, new technologies or, or new techniques, then we kind of get it, don't we? That's right. And unfortunately, Ken, there's a bit of a flip side to that coin in that a strong story can sometimes be used as a bit of smoke and mirrors, if you like. Right. Um, you know, 
unscrupulous agencies perhaps can tell stories of, of people, but the actually work that's going on or the impact of that work may not be of the quality that you would hope for. Yeah. And that's, that's why, you know, obviously I spend a lot of time on the, working with NGOs, but I'm also really passionate about helping people become more financially literate, I guess, yeah. in the way that they give and who they give to, because you do need to be discerning. Yeah, and and hence the the title of the article that you've uh, you've got in in this month's the October Signs of the Times. You know how to give your money away and make it count. And yeah, thank you for writing that article. And I definitely want to to get into those issues of those practical tips that you can give us about you know how to you know avoid the scams, how to get the most bang for our buck when when it comes to donations. But just before we get there, I just wanted to ask you about the other major source of funding for. Uh, non-government organizations or NGOs as, as we call them. And that's not just donors, which obviously vitally important, but it's also governments. So the, the Australian government, the New Zealand government, you know, many other governments around the world have a certain amount of, of their budget set aside for foreign aid. But that's been a bit of an issue and a bit of a challenge for, for ADRA and, and other foreign aid agencies in Australia and New Zealand lately, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, by far the biggest donor to developing countries is our government. So whether you're in Australia or, or New Zealand, your government is giving away far more money than, than we could as private citizens. Now, the source of that money is largely tax dollars, so it's kind of our money. Mm-hmm. Anyway, which means that we have a responsibility of keeping an eye on it because it is our money. Yeah. Yeah, and as you said, it's become increasingly difficult for aid agencies to access that money and put it to good use. And there's a number of reasons for that. One, it is the bucket of money so that the amount of money that governments are giving away in foreign aid has been decreasing, right? Uh, particularly in the last 10 to 15 years. Well, that, that's really interesting, Braden, because I, I remember, like you say, 10, 15 years, I remember about, well, probably the year 2000, we were talking about, you know, the Jubilee campaign was talking about releasing poor nations from, from debt and sort of trying to give them a, a new start. And at that time, this international agreement was established and it was called the Millennium Development Goals. And, and a part of, of that was for a number of the nations who signed up and Australia was one of those, I'm not sure about New Zealand, you, you may know, but was to raise the proportion of GDP to, I think, 0.5% or something. So half, half a percent of GDP was going to go to foreign aid. And so Australia and other nations were sort of raising their foreign aid gradually to reach that benchmark, which is a, which is a fairly modest benchmark, you've got to admit. But as I understand it, Australia never quite got there. Like they were supposed to get there by 2015. They never quite got there and, in fact, started going backwards. Is, is that right? Yeah, that's, that's correct. So there was this you know, fairly global agreement on what did actually good global citizenship look like from a government perspective. Mm. And that's where this figure of gross national product came out. You know, the wealth of our, our country, wherever you are, let's aim to give 0.5% a way to help other people, other countries. And as you said, Australia never quite reached that benchmark. Now, I should say that they're not alone in mm. that. The rise of things, including terrorism, you know, a rise in kind of nationalism, has meant that the government appetite, the political appetite to pursue a more generous aid budget is no longer there, unfortunately. And, and, and this, this isn't a party political thing, is it? I think well, like both major parties in Australia have basically reneged on this promise and, you know, peeled back the, their foreign aid commitments. Is that correct? 
Yeah, that's correct. So it's it's across across the board, and certainly some parties are a little more generous in in their policy, but certainly not reaching that zero point five. And the the figure that I mentioned in in the article is that if we if we go back fifty years, so to 1968, yeah, in in current figures, the Australian government then was twice as generous as they are today. Wow. So actual dollars, obviously, it looks quite different. But if we look at percentages, twice as generous fifty years ago as today. Wow. In in in, ten, in terms of proportion of GDP. Correct, and that and that's that's not reflective of the fact that there's less poverty or less disasters because we know that's not the case at all. It's simply just the political atmosphere. It's no longer attractive to, or at least perceived to be attractive to, the constituents of Australia in particular to continue pushing a generous aid budget. And so when there's money needed for other programs, whether they're social programs or business programs in the government budget, the the foreign aid budget is an easy one for them to nibble away at or cut away at over time. And and, and I guess when you say it's an easy one, what, what you're saying is that the the impact in terms of losing votes is actually quite small. Australians basically shrug and and turn away when they see their their government cutting foreign aid. Is that what it comes down to? Yeah, absolutely. There's a little bit of a blind eye turned, and that's really sad. And there's you know there's there's collective voices that stand up against that. And I think one of the most powerful things we can do as private citizens in any country is hold our government to account of what we believe is important. And so in Australia, we're lucky to be able to vote yeah. um, and have democracy to, to do that. And so as Christians, I think it's important that we consider not only you know, what's good for our back pocket, but also what do our values and our faith drive us to consider to be important outside of that. And yeah. there's an organisation that I was involved in in the past called Micah Challenge. It's a collection of faith-based groups, Christian groups, whose Focus is advocating on behalf of the world, Paul, to allow Christians to come together, have a platform to speak with confidence into this political sphere and say, look, this is, this is something we believe in, one, as Australians, but two, as Christians. And by pulling our voice, we can, we can be heard. Mm. It's it's really interesting that you mentioned that you know, the, this Christian connection when it comes to to aid agencies because I, I guess I think about the um, you know the aid agencies that that we hear about that are doing work there. I mean you know Caritas, you know the Catholic agency. Um, there's is Anglican Overseas Aid. There's there's World the, Vision. Yeah, well, World Vision is the world's biggest NGO, mm. isn't it? And mm. evangelical sort of Pentecostal based there. You know the Baptists are out there, and then even in like nationally we see groups like the Salvation Army are very active, St. Vincent de Paul, you know, again, a Catholic organization, very active, and ADRA, of course, you know, both domestically and overseas. I mean, there are some agencies, I guess Oxfam comes to mind, that don't have a, a particular Christian background, but it seems to me that the bulk of aid agencies have that that faith underpinning. I mean, is my perception correct there? Yeah, I think you've got a pretty accurate assessment there, Ken. Okay. Well, what, why is that? Why, why Christian groups in particular? Because it's interesting. I mean, a lot of Christians are very politically conservative, and and then but we see our governments and possibly particularly our conservative governments being less and less generous. But nevertheless, it's Christian agencies that are are being generous, are looking after the disadvantaged. Like, 
it's it, a strange sort of situation. What what is going on there from a biblical point of view, from a theological point of view, that that pushes Christians and Christian agencies to continue to focus on these issues, even though it seems that in some ways the the public has turned a blind eye, as as you say. Yeah, there's there's probably two things, and as you mentioned, one of those is the biblical, the theological basis for for what Christians do. Mm. Um, and I'll, I'll talk to that in a second. The second one is a little more practical. Christian groups, Christian churches are a global force. We have congregations, whatever denomination you're talking about, there are congregations in almost every country in the globe. Yeah. So there are people, there are facilities. The Adventist Church, for example, has the world's largest integrated healthcare system and also the world's largest integrated education system. Wow. And so when you're talking about reaching people, churches have far more sway globally than any other kind of organisation. And so being able to mobilise the Christian world is an incredibly powerful thing. And that's why you see so many Christian aid agencies. One, because there's that practical strength Mm. that exists within the faith. The second... They had that grassroots presence in in so many places. Yeah, absolutely. But that that means nothing if, if there's not some kind of impulse to use that. Yeah. If we, if we look back at the beginning of the world, mm. we're told, Genesis clearly states that, that God created everything, mm-hmm. that created all that exists, including human beings. Mm. And in fact, we're, we're told that we're created in God's image. And so one of the reasons that, that Christian groups are so passionate about this is if we're looking at people living in Africa or Asia or the Americas or Australia, New Zealand, there is something that ties us together. And that is the image of God. Mm. There's a, a brotherhood, if you like, amongst that. And so when we see people hurting, we recognise, hopefully, that their value lies not in how much money they have or what country they live in, but each one of them is a child of God. Mm. So each each human being has this inherent value and this inherent dignity, and and so each human being is precious. And therefore, when they're in difficulty or, or trouble, there's this this Christian impulse to reach out and, and help that person, not just to say, ah, oh, they're just an African, or ah, oh, they're just you know there are millions of poor people in India. It doesn't really matter. But no, each one of those people is of inestimable value. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, over and over again, scriptures call us as Christians to step into that space, to step into the lives of people who are suffering, who are hurting, who are being oppressed and exercise our ability to help, whether that's through direct action, whether that's through generosity, whether that's through raising our voice. And you know, when Jesus was walking the earth, on the earth, he demonstrated that to us over and over again. I, I love that image of you know, Jesus actually reaching out to the leper, yeah, the untouchable. Yeah. Um, and Jesus says, look, I could have done this from afar. I have the power to do that, but I actually want to demonstrate to everyone that's watching here now and in the future that reaching down to those that people call the lowest of the low mm. isn't, shouldn't be beyond Christian faith. That's actually at the core of what an active Christian would Mm, wow. So, so to follow Jesus entails doing what Jesus did, and if if he if what he did involved reaching out to the people in the lowest levels of society and providing help and and basically demonstrating that each of those people is precious in the eyes of God, then anyone who's following Jesus needs to to do that too. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the the things that is again Jesus highlights is that there's there's no boundaries. It doesn't matter if 
someone shares your faith. It doesn't mm. matter what they look like. It doesn't matter what political party they might align themselves to. Mm. That is not something we should consider at all. And certainly speaking from Adra's perspective, who I've worked with the most, that is the mode that they operate, and most aid, aid agencies do. Yeah, It's done irrespective of race, religion, gender, yeah. political association, because as we said, it all comes down to whose image are we created in that's in the image of God. Wow. No, that's, that's fantastic, Braden. Now, look, I, I would like to move into some, some of the practical issues that you, you discuss in, in your article. If, if I you know, am a person who says, hey, I want to help out with those needs that I see in the world, it's really easy to be bamboozled. There are so many different problems. There are so many different agencies saying that they're offering help, so many different projects. How do I like logically and thoughtfully, but still, you know, obviously it takes a, it takes a risk, it takes compassion. How, how do I give, make the most of, of the money that, that I'm giving? Yeah, absolutely. I guess the foundational thing for me is ensuring that you're actually being proactive in the way that you give. And what I mean by that is not waiting for causes to come. Mm, to, right. But actually thinking about what is it that I value, what's my value base, and it may be Christian, it may not be. Yeah. What are the things that interest me personally and finding projects and organisations that align with that? Yeah. Uh, because the most powerful gifts, no matter if they're big or small, are ones that are sustained. Mm. And if you're not giving from something that is personal, that's aligned with your, your value base, it's unlikely that that's going to continue. You mm-hmm. might give a one-off gift and that's great, but the impact really happens when we're able to give in some kind of sustained. So my, my number one tip would be find a cause, a project that, that resonates with you. Yeah. Kind of go, all right, I can believe in it. Yeah. Okay. And, and it's interesting that you say that it, it might be better not to give just a one-off donation, but to give continued support because I have noticed a lot of charities now that they'll, you know, they'll approach you in the street or in the shopping center or whatever and ask you, you know, do you want to sign up with them? And, and if you offer them, hey, look, here's 20 bucks, they'll actually knock it back and they'll say, no, no, that's fine. What we want to do is, is set up a, basically a direct debit sort of arrangement. And a part of me sort of resists that. And I think, oh, I don't know, I'd be happier just to sort of just do a, a one-off thing and not have to commit long-term. But it, am, am I being selfish in thinking that? Is it better to give long-term? Yeah, it absolutely is better to give long-term. I guess in that situation, often when we have people approaching us on the street to give money, if there's a little bit of hesitation, then that should give us pause for thought. Say, maybe say, well, it's a good cause and you know, I've got $10 in one pocket. But yeah. Maybe I'm actually better off than going, and think, all right, so what's a cause that I would be happy giving $10 a month to? Mm, um, mm. Unfortunately, we're, we're made to feel guilty about not giving yep. money. Yep. And that's unfortunately how some of these street collectors operate. They, they want to make you feel guilty so you'll take some kind of action. Yep. But it, again, if we're giving to something that we really believe, we don't have to feel guilty. Mm. There's so many causes out there but we can't give them to them all. So we need to make sure that what we are giving is going to make the big, biggest difference. Right, right. So, so, so think it through, f- figure out what you're passionate about, give to those charities that you, know, that you are passionate about and don't feel so guilty that, that you can't give to everyone who, who, who's asking because um, obviously there's, you know, there's no end to that really. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess part of that is also making sure that the charities um, are legitimate 
Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there are, are scams out there, people posing as charities coming and knocking on your door or collecting on the street, and they have no plans to put that money to use for others. They're simply pocketing it. Wow. And you, you actually say in your article that there are a number of agencies that uh, a reputable charity should be registered under. Can you just walk us through like what, what they are and, and how you go about checking? Yeah, absolutely. So in Australia, there's the Australia, Australian Charities and Not-for-Profit Commission, okay. which is a register of all, all charitable groups. So that's NGOs, churches, it runs the whole range. And in New Zealand, it's called the Charities Register. And you can just Google those, the Australian Charities and Not-for-Profit Profit Commission. ACNC, and yeah. The ACNC, yeah. Yep. And there you can just put in a charity's name and you'll quickly find out whether they are registered with those groups okay. or all right. not. And, that, and then there's ACFID, is, is that the other one? Yeah, so this steps us one step further. So ACFID, mm. which is the Australian Council for International Development, mm-hmm. or in New Zealand's CIFID, the Council for International Development, mm-hmm. and they're the peak bodies for NGOs. So one of their jobs is to ensure that the charities that are registered with them or members of them mm. are operating in a transparent manner, operating in the most effective manner that they can be. Yep. So when you see those little logos or those acronyms, ACFID or CIFID, you have a bit of surety that the work that these charities are doing yeah, top quality. And, 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 and I guess you've got to be sensible about this because, I mean, your, your local fire brigade having a, you know, passing a bucket around or, you know, having a sausage sizzle is unlikely to be registered with these agencies, but it doesn't mean they're necessarily dodgy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where, again, being proactive about it and actually stopping and thinking rather mm. than feeling guilted into parting with your hard-earned cash. One of, the, one of the things that I often recommend people to do is to get as much information as you can. Yeah, do your research. Giving. Do your research. And that, and that may be just a conversation with someone on the street if that's all that you've got available. It may be going to their website and downloading an annual report or reading some newsletters so you actually really get to understand Mm, mm. through this organization. Okay. No, that that sounds really good. Now, just just before we finish, Braden, I just want to run a couple of sort of common objections that people have to to giving charitably. This is sort of a, you know, a quick, quick, quick answer sort of thing, okay? People say, why should I give overseas when there's problems in Australia? What do you say to that? That's a very, it's a very common and good question. What would I say to that? I mean, if you, you've said, <laughs> you, you've said, what are you passionate about? If you're passionate about Australia, we'll then give to Australia. I mean, yeah. that's... Yeah, absolutely. That's, absolutely. But, but I, I guess the, the other thing I wonder is like, why does there have to be a choice? You know, can, can we not give to both? It, it's sort of a false dichotomy in, in some ways. Yeah. Absolutely. I rescued you with that one, Braden. Come you on. You did. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. Other objection is how much of my donation is going to ad- administration and marketing and paying people like you? So my response to that would be, let's not look at the percentage, but let's look at the impact. An organisation could be taking 50%, but be, be doing far more than an organisation that's taking zero. Mm. Oh, okay. All right. And, and, and I mean, I guess realistically, if, if you're an organisation doing good work, like you've got to let people know that you are doing good work and you've got to actually get the means out there so that you have a website that people can donate to or you are employing people to make the phone calls to, you know, or, or whatever. I mean, it, it costs money to, to get money donated, doesn't it, basically? Absolutely. And if, you know, if I knew that an organisation was taking 50% of my donation, but from that 50%, they were then going to raise another 400 or 500% of my donation because they invested it 
in fundraising or other income generating activities. And I would actually think that's a pretty good deal because mm. then my $5 suddenly turns into $25 that's going to work. And that's a good thing. No, that's fantastic. Hey, thanks so much uh, for your time, Braden Blyde. We really appreciate your, your wisdom and, and your insights and experience there. If uh, you're listening to this interview today and you'd like to know more about uh, ADRA, visit the website, adra.org.au, or in New Zealand, it's adra.org.nz. Did I get that right, Braden? Correct, yep. Yep, excellent. So yeah, check those websites out and by all means, you know, do your research while you're there and please give generously. Thanks for your time, Braden. Uh, look after yourself and yeah, hopefully we'll uh, have a chance to chat to you again sometime. Thank you very much, Kent. Look forward to it. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au. Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media. This is an Adventist Media podcast. 